Uh, we're going to be back in the Gospel of Mark today, looking at Jesus' uh, encounter with people in his own hometown in Mark chapter 6. So you can go ahead and turn there uh, as we get into God's Word. And uh, just as a heads up, as, as we move into Mark chapter 6, we find a rather perplexing account. For starters, this is probably some of the harshest rejection that Jesus faces in his entire life, okay? Like, save the cross, right, where, where they hate him so much that they uh, literally take his life, but, uh, but then beyond that, to see Jesus move into his own hometown, among his own family, and to be rejected in this kind of way, uh, it surely should cause us to scratch our heads. But then number two, we also find that this is the only time where Jesus is said to marvel at other people, to be amazed, to be taken back, to be in awe of other people. And as we're going to see, he is marveling for all of the wrong reasons. All right, so listen to the first six verses of Mark chapter six as we get into our text today. Mark says this, he, Jesus, went away from there and came to his own hometown. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went out about among the villages teaching. Let's pray. One more time, God, we ask that in these moments, you would send your Holy Spirit to open our eyes, God, to see Jesus, to see you, Lord, to see ourselves in light of who you are. God, that these would be more than words on a page. This would be more than moments where we've come into a room to sing a few songs, to hear a guy talk for a little bit. No, God, that this would be time where we are encountering you face-to-face, face-to-face. God, we want to hear your voice. We're asking that you would speak to us. We're asking that you would change our hearts. God, wherever we are, wherever we came in today, Lord, that you would do a great work in us individually and collectively as the people known as Redemption Hill. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we work our way through this story, I have 
one question I want you to consider, and I hope that you'll ask it again and again and again. Okay, so normally there's like, there's a point, we call it the point, it's like the main point of the sermon, we give you every week, okay? This week we don't have the point, we have the question. And it's this, is Jesus marveling at your faith? Is Jesus marveling at your faith? In order to help us grow today in our faith, I want to give you five principles that we see here to practice greater faith. All right, five principles. You might want to write them down. Five principles to help us practice greater faith. All right, the first one is this. Faith sees past the surface. Faith sees past the surface. Jesus and his disciples pay a visit to his hometown of Nazareth. And just, just so you know, okay, Nazareth was not known as the Athens of Israel, title town, the hub of the universe, like our great city, Boston. <laughs> Nazareth was an obscure vi village that probably boasted about 150 to 200 people, historians would tell us. I mean, just think about that. Like, if they had Google Maps in that day, you probably could not zoom in close enough, you know what I'm saying? Just like, you probably still couldn't find Nazareth no matter how hard you looked. To give us a flavor of the attitude of the people toward Nazareth, this man named Nathaniel, who, mind you, was not from Jerusalem, he was also from the sticks, all right, the countryside, he says when they, they say, hey, we've met the Messiah, Jesus. He's from Nazareth. And what does Nathaniel say? In John chapter 1, he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was a no-name town. Jesus gets back there, and once again, he is invited to teach in the synagogue, the place of, of religious worship for the Jewish people. And once again, when he taught, it says that the people were astonished. Their minds were blown. They could not believe the things that they were hearing, but they were astonished to the point of being skeptical. And they asked essentially what we find here, six questions that seem to rise in the intensity of their skepticism. The first three have to do with Jesus' words and works. They first ask, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How were such mighty works done by his hands? They are, they are ultimately questioning the authority of Jesus and consequently his authenticity. It's as if they are saying, hey, we know this kid. We knew he grew up in our tiny village. He can't be saying the things that he's saying and do the, doing the things that he's doing. There must be something more to the story. But then beyond that, they continue. And we can just imagine their conversation. Like, hey, we're talking about the local carpenter here. Jesus fixed my doorframe in my house. Someone else is saying, oh yeah, he, he helped me fix my sheep pen so that my sheep won't run wild. There's no way that he can be who they are saying he is. He's one of us. 
He's no better than we are. And then they start talking about his family. They say, hey, we know his brothers, James and Joseph and Judah, Judas and, 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 and then his sisters. They're, they're right here among us. In other words, they're very ordinary people. What can be so special about Jesus? We know, we know him. We know his family. And then they say this. They say, is this not the son of Mary? And we ask the question because the common verbiage in first century Israel would have been for them to say, is this not the son of Joseph? Now, there are probably multiple reasons for this. Number one, it's likely from, from the evidence in the rest of the New Testament that Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, had died by this point. So that may be why they're saying, is this not the son of Mary? But more than likely, especially given the increasing skepticism of their questions, they are probably alluding to the fact that Jesus was born out of questionable circumstances. We even see this in John chapter 8 where the religious leaders are saying, hey, he's illegitimate. His his mom was unfaithful to his dad. Like, they didn't know the rest of the story. They didn't know that, that Mary, though a virgin, was conceived by the Holy Spirit to give birth to her firstborn son. And so it was scandalous, and and they thought that Jesus was illegitimate because he had illegitimate roots, according to their perspective. And that's exactly what we need to see here. The people of Nazareth are jumping to conclusions based on their expectations and what felt within the realm of their finite thinking. The people of Nazareth were judging by external appearances. And I don't know about you, but I know about me. I know so often, not only do I do this with people, where, where I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the appearances and I'm, I'm checking out the circumstances and I'm calculating my expectations and I'm definitely living within the realm of my own finite thinking. But not just with people, with God. God, look at uh, my circumstances aren't changing. It's the same old, same old. God, like I'm... I'm throwing up prayers to you, and these prayers seem to be bouncing back like a game of ping pong. But what I am doing is I'm looking at my circumstances, and I'm judging God by my circumstances. I'm not seeing that there's more going on. I'm not not believing that God is at work, even when I can't see it. Faith sees past the surface. Faith sees the unseen. It's another way to say faith. It sees past the surface. It sees the unseen. That's the essence of faith. Faith is believing what we can't see with our physical eyes. That's even why Paul prays in Ephesians 1, open the eyes of their heart. In other words, we can, are you ready for this? We can see things spiritually that we can't see physically. That's faith. 
And what's going on here, what will really help our faith, what will really build up our faith is to, to trust and to see the identity of Jesus. What were they doing in Nazareth? They were questioning the identity of Jesus. He can't be who he says he is. He can't be the Messiah. He can't be the Son of God. He can't be the one that's all powerful. He can't, he's talking about being the bread of life, the living water, okay, the good shepherd. Like, he can't be those things. We know who he is. Faith trusts in the identity of Jesus. Faith trusts the heart of Christ. We, 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 we believe who he says he is. We lean into his true identity and heart because we see past the surface. We see what maybe others can't see. So number one, faith sees past the surface. Number two, faith rejoices in the work of God. Faith rejoices in the work of God. If you look at the last line of verse three, it, it tells us what the end result of their questions were. When it says this, it says, and they took offense at him. That the people of Nazareth in the synagogue, in his own hometown, they were offended by Jesus. Why? Because Jesus upset their sensibilities. Jesus, in his words and work, was so shocking that they found him to be scandalous. That's the Greek word when it says they, that he was offended. It's scandalitomai. It means that they, they were scandalized by the words and works of Jesus Christ. So much so that the overarching sense is, hey, we have to reject him. He, he, can't, he can't be who he says he is. Though, listen, though we have never heard anyone speak like he speaks, we've never heard reports about people doing the things that he's doing. I mean, mind you, we're, we're in chapter six. By, by the time we get to chapter six, we've already seen Jesus do what? Heal the demon oppressed man, chapter one. Peter's mother-in-law, chapter one. Many in Capernaum, a leper, a paralyzed man, a man with a deformed hand. Many more in chapter three, calming the storm. The demoniac in chapter five. The women who, woman who bled for 12 years, as well as Jairus's daughter who had died. And they're still saying, nope, he can't be the one to bring God's kingdom near. And we learn a couple of lessons that we should really pay attention to here today, church. As Danny Aiken says, apart from the eyes of faith, I hope you're just praying, God, give me eyes of faith. Help me to see past the surface. Help me to rejoice in your work. Apart from the eyes of faith, no one will see Jesus for who he truly is. In and of themselves, miracles are not enough. This is so crazy to consider, but, but you, could see, you could walk out of here, see a miracle before your eyes, and it could do nothing to your faith. You say, Tanner, I don't believe that. That's exactly what's going on here. Miracles, the miracles were, were not just, they, they weren't just a show. They were to, to point people to who Jesus is. Which leads us to the next lesson. As the old adage says what? Familiarity breeds contempt. 
Familiarity breeds contempt. In other words, it breeds a disregard. Oh, this is, this is so commonplace. There can't be anything special about it. And this is a warning for us. Listen, I know some of you may be brand new to Christianity. You may be new to these stories. But for so many probably here today, listen, I know that, that you've walked with Jesus for a long time. Maybe you grew up in church and you've been a part of, and you know these stories, right? I've heard this story before. Oh, yeah, I know. Jesus went into the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, and they didn't believe. And, you know, Jesus, you know, did these miracles, and he died on the cross for our sin, and he rose from the, the dead as we celebrated last week. but it, it doesn't lift our soul. It doesn't stir our heart, move our affection. It doesn't light us up. It doesn't move us to do anything. And I just have to say, when, when that's going on, and listen, 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 that, that will probably happen for you. I don't say this judgmentally as if like I haven't been there, okay? But I say it as a warning. I say so that we can learn lessons here, okay? That, that when we're in that place, we pray, God, help me, move me past it. Because in, in the words of Phillips Brooks, who was a, a great Boston preacher, his statue is outside of Trinity Church in Copley Square. That's who that guy is, by the way. <laughs> he says this, familiarity breeds contempt but only with contemptible things or among contemptible people. That we, we, we may grow so familiar that, that, that these words and these stories and, and the reality of Jesus doesn't move us, but the problem is not with Jesus. The problem is with us. Unbelief rejects the work of God but faith rejoices in the work of God. I loved hearing the, the claps and the celebrations for how we saw God move through Multiply March. That's awesome. We should get excited about the work of God. Let me say this too. This is really important. Whenever we hear about the work of God, wherever it is found, we should get fired up about it, including when it's in other churches. Let me say this, especially when it's among other churches, other ministries. We, listen, if, if, if anybody, any Christian, any church is truly introducing people to Jesus Christ, okay, then we are on the same team. There is no competition. So we get fired up when other churches grow, when other churches are on the move, when other churches are planting churches, when other churches are starting multiple services, having to add because there's so much space need because more and more people are knowing about Jesus and being changed by him. Faith rejoices in the work of God. Number three, faith elevates, elevates the honor of Jesus. It's, a, it's intentionally redundant here, okay? Faith elevates the honor of Jesus. Say, Tanner, what are you talking about? Well, number one, Jesus says in verse four, he says, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. Now, now, what is honor? Like honor is something that we kind of understand, we talk about, but we often don't define. Honor is a relational word that conveys the idea of respecting someone, of recognizing their value and contributions 
as a human being. Okay, so, so, so let me put it like this. To honor someone is to lift them up in the sight of others. That's honor. That's why we're saying faith elevates the honor of Jesus, okay? But, but shame, if you want to shame someone, when you're trying to shame someone, what you're trying to do is you're not trying to lift them up in the sight of others. You're trying to bring them down in the sight of others. And Jesus is saying, hey, look, when I'm coming back into my hometown, honor is MIA. Honor is missing. They're not trying to honor me. They're not trying to lift me up to my proper place. They're trying to tear me down. They're trying to shame me. They're trying to run me out of town. The, the gospel of Luke chapter 4 would even say they try to kill him. And this is why. This is why Jesus, thank you, God, for power to preach this Sunday. I mean that. Because even pastors are human beings and, and post-Easter week is, you know, one of those, one of those weeks. <laughs> this is why Jesus identifies himself as a prophet. Prophets were truth tellers, okay? So, so they, they foretold what was coming, what, what, was, what was going to be true in the future, but they also foretold, in other words, they told the truth of what was happening right now. What God had revealed, this is the truth of God. So Jesus is saying, hey, I'm a prophet, and this is really important because what we see in the life of Christ is Jesus both exercises and fulfills the three Old Testament offices of prophet, priest, and king. He is the perfect prophet, the perfect priest, and the perfect king. But, but here he's identifying with the prophets because the prophets were so often rejected by their own people. We can go back to 1 Kings 18 and see Elijah on the run from King Ahab and Queen Jezebel who killed the prophets of the Lord. Jeremiah was imprisoned, persecuted, and deported. Zechariah was stoned to death, 2 Chronicles 24. History tells us that the prophet Isaiah was sawn in two. And as it turns out, here's the lesson, here's the side note. People just don't like hearing the truth too much. <laughs> that's, that's what's going on. But then we see that Jesus speaks in concentric circles of rejection. They, they, they grow more intense. He, he first talks about his hometown. And then he speaks of his relatives, his extended family. And then he even says, not just relatives, but his own household. And again, maybe you're, maybe you're new to the Gospels and you're new to the story of Jesus and you can't believe that his own family would not believe in him, that his own family would reject him. And yet we already saw in Mark chapter three, this isn't new information, that his family went to literally seize him because they were saying he's out of his mind. And John chapter 7 would tell us that his, his siblings would not believe in him until after they saw his resurrected body. And this teaches us another valuable lesson of faith. Unbelief dishonors Jesus. But faith honors Jesus. If you want to honor Jesus, like it's one thing, like how many of us we've, we've learned, we've been taught, right? Like we've even hung around in community group long enough that we're supposed to pray, like God be glorified. 
God, be glorified in my life. Be glorified in my church. Be glorified in them. Be glorified in their group. I'm not trying to make light of that. It's, it's a great prayer. But let's pray it with a little extra like emphasis and sincerity because when we're saying, God, we want you to be glorified, we're saying, God, we want you to be honored. We want you to be lifted up. Faith is a way that we lift him up. Faith is a way that we honor him. And so now you're saying, well, then Pastor Tanner, if faith honors him, then how can I live with greater faith? Here you go. Look at your life. Look at your life. I mean, check out your words. Like, words are not meaningless, but, but if, if our words never match our life, then Jesus calls that hypocrisy. Here's the point. Faith acts. Faith moves. Faith prays. Faith shows up. Faith steps out. Faith takes risks. Faith leaves home. Faith suffers. Faith speaks up. You say, oh, Pastor Tanner, prove it to me. Just go read Hebrews chapter 11. It's pretty long, but it's all about faith. Faith moves. Faith leaves home. Faith is willing to be, uh, suffer reproach. And I'm thankful, listen, I'm thankful to be a part of a church family that we can even see over the past few weeks, people stepping out in faith, people moving, people acting, people taking risks. We, we've seen people show up at 6 a.m. Monday through Saturday, the, the week of fasting and prayer leading up to Easter. That's faith. People serving other people through our community groups, taking their time and resources to, to help someone in need. That's faith. People inviting friends for our Easter celebration, that takes some faith. People giving a financial resources to say, hey, this money is God's anyway, so I'm gonna give it so that other people can be blessed and more and more people can know about Jesus. That's faith. Thank you, Redemption Hill, for stepping out in faith. Every act of faith elevates. It takes the honor of Jesus in others' eyes even higher. That's what we wanna see. That's what we wanna be a part of. And then number four, faith unlocks the power of God. Faith unlocks the power of God. After reading about miracle after miracle after miracle in the gospel of Mark, verse five should shock us. It says this, and he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Let's read that again. And Jesus could do no mighty work there. What, what is that? Does this mean that there's a deficiency in the ministry of Jesus? This, this language is quite strong. It says, he could do no mighty work there. And so here, here's just a principle, okay? Um, whenever you have a question, whenever you, you're reading something in the Bible and it doesn't make sense, here's the principle. Keep reading, all right? Keep reading. Because number one, we see that he's not powerless because it says that he laid his hands on some sick people and they were healed. I don't know about you, but that counts as a win in my book. That counts as a miracle in my book. So, so Jesus is still bringing miracles to Nazareth, but clearly it wasn't at the same level or the same intensity that, that he had uh, performed elsewhere. 
But then number two, as we keep reading, as Mark explains what's going on, as Jesus is marveling, we see that his emphasis is not on the absence of Jesus' power, but on the absence of their faith. And this story helps us understand the miracles of Christ, how they work. I want to give you just a couple of thoughts, okay? Number one, the miracles of Jesus were always meant to be redemptive, not magical. Redemptive, not magical. Tim Keller helps us out when he says this. Jesus' miracles were not magic tricks designed to prove how powerful he was, okay? But they were signs of the kingdom to show how his redemptive power operates, His miracles always healed and restored and delivered people in ways that revealed how we are to find him by faith and have our lives transformed by him. He could not do a deed that would not redeem. So so in other words, Jesus isn't just showing up to to, to, to shock and awe people, to get rounds of applause, to build a bigger crowd. Jesus is performing miracles so that when he does it, the miracles would point to his identity as the son of God who can give them life. And by the way, just, just, just so we know and understand, whenever God does amazing things today and he heals people or he speaks like prophetically where someone learns something that they had no clue about and, and someone speaks that to them and it's like, what just happened? They don't even know me and yet they had a message that, that seemed to be like reading my life in mail for the past three months. Like that is a sign and a wonder and it is so, not so people are like, oh wow, they're amazing or, or wow, I can't believe that just happened. But it's so that people will look at who Jesus is and believe in him as the only life giver. They're redemptive, they're not magical. And then number two, listen, they are received, not forced. Received, not forced. Mark has already told us again and again that Jesus often performs miracles in response to faith. We saw this in chapter two with the paralyzed man. We saw this in the last chapter with Jairus' daughter and the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. And so we just need to say it. Faith is often, most often, prerequisite for the miraculous work of God. Now, I, wanna be, I just want to stop and step back and be crystal clear here. Because you may, you may hear, you may watch on TV, okay, there are, there are these uh, ministers and, 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 and people that are known as faith healers, which may mean they have the gift of, of not just faith, but the gift to heal people. And sometimes in unhealthy circles or amongst unhealthy teachers and teaching, you will hear this claim, well, if you weren't healed, it means you didn't have enough faith. And that can be like really dangerous and really unhealthy. Because someone may have loads of faith. They may be walking with Jesus and believe that he can do anything. And God still in his sovereignty may not heal them right now. He may heal them later or he surely will heal them when our life is through. So if you ever hear that and someone's like, oh, it's just because they don't have any faith and they say it with such certainty and confidence, we just have to step back and say, well, does that mean that Paul didn't have enough faith in in 2 Corinthians 12 when he has a thorn in his side and he pleaded with God three times to take it away and it wasn't taken away? What about Jesus? 
in the Garden of Gethsemane. Like he's praying, God, if you're willing, take this cup away. Did Jesus not have enough faith to experience the suffering of the cross? He most certainly did. So, so, so that needs to be said. That needs to be said. It's not always about the level of, of someone's faith that may be prohibiting a, a miraculous deed. But then I know, in much of my experience, like I wanted to kind of leave the argument there, talk about Paul, talk about Jesus, and then just leave it. But, but then what can happen is we can swing the pendulum too far as if faith doesn't matter. Faith does matter. And we see this again and again and again. God heals where faith is present. It may be great faith. It may be little mustard seeds faith. It may be the faith of others on behalf of someone else, as we saw in Mark chapter 2. But listen, faith is part of the equation. So, so we, can't, we can't swing the pendulum too far in an unhealthy direction. But faith is part of this reception of the miraculous work of God. I, I like what Grant Osborne also says related to this. Listen, he says, most likely this divine judgment, this is, he says, most likely this is divine judgment. They reject Jesus, so God rejects them. God will not work where he is not wanted. God will not work where he is not wanted. But, but, but I just have to tell you, I hope you lean in on this. I heard a pastor from New York City, his name is John Tyson, talking about revival. Revival is the coming to life of God in the life of the people who know him so that his revival can spread to other people. That's called awakening, where more and more people come into the life of Jesus. And John Tyson says this, he says this about revival, God shows up where he is most wanted. Nazareth, we don't want what you have to offer us, so they didn't experience the work of God. But, but in revival, in awakening, we're saying, God, we want you, we need you. I mean, just try walking around the streets of your neighborhood and city and workplace and the hallways, wherever you are, and just say, God, you are wanted here. God, we want you here. God, we need you here by our prayers. And yes, as we just saw, by our actions, we need to say, God, we want you. We need you. If we want to see a great move of God. If unbelief hinders the power of God, faith unlocks it. And so we just keep asking God, do it. We just keep moving out in faith. God, do it as I'm moving out. Do it through me. Do it through us. Faith unlocks it. It unlocks the power of God. Increase our faith. And then finally, listen, faith, I love this. This is, this is just driving to the whole, the whole point. Faith moves the heart of God. Faith moves the heart of God. We see this specifically with Jesus. Faith moves the heart of Jesus. Verse six should stop us in our tracks. It says that Jesus marveled. He's, he's astonished by the rejection and the unbelief of the people in his hometown. He's amazed. 
And when we juxtapose, when we, when we put this story against the story that just came before with Jairus and the woman who says, if I can just touch his garment, then I'm going to be healed. Like th- this shows us that there are always only ultimately two responses to Jesus. There is either reception or rejection. There is either faith or unbelief. And so I want to ask you today, in a very real personal way. Are you trusting Jesus? Have you trusted Jesus? If, if you've never started a relationship with God through Jesus and what he offers you in the gift of his life, death, and resurrection, I want to plead with you, begin your journey today. This is why he came. This is why he died on the cross. This is why he rose from the dead so that we can have life by placing our faith in him. Just cry out. I mean, we're baptizing people in two weeks, celebrating the move from spiritual death to spiritual life. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're ready to begin your journey with Jesus. Maybe you want to show that to the the people around you in baptism. Listen, we want to know that. You can go to our connect card and let us know. And we're going to help you in your journey. But it's not just, have you believed? Have you trusted? It's, are you? Are you trusting in Jesus? Are you trusting Jesus with everything in your life? Are you trusting him with your relationships? Are you trusting him with your health? Are you trusting him with the next steps in your faith journey? Are you trusting him with the dreams that he's put in your heart? Are you trusting him to work wonders before our eyes as he has so many times in the past? Because here's the, here's the good news. Unbelief makes Jesus marvel. But so does faith. So does faith. The only other place in the New Testament where it says that Jesus marveled was not at someone's unbelief, but was at their belief, was at their faith. Luke chapter 7, John already read it. I want to read it one more time as we wrap up. Jesus says, it says this about the, the, the faith of the centurion, this Roman official whose, whose servant was very sick. It, he, he sends back word to Jesus and he says this, listen, Jesus, just say the word and let my servant be healed because he's saying, I understand authority. I I know that you have the power, the authority to do it. And and here's why. He says, I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go. And what, what happens? He goes. And another, come. And he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd, he lets everyone know. He says, I tell you, not even in Israel, not even among the people who should have the faith and have the greatest faith, have I found such faith. Do you hear this? Listen, Jesus is stopping and he's saying, this guy has faith that everyone needs to know about. He believes that I am who I say I am. He believes the reports, like he's heard the secondhand knowledge and he believes in that secondhand knowledge so much that he's saying, I want it to become firsthand knowledge. Oh God, do it in us. I'm tired of hearing the stories. I hope that resonates with you. Listen, listen, God did not make you just to hear the stories of other people. 
God made you. God made you to live it. God made you to wake up Monday morning and say, God, you're able to do it. You can change me. You can change the lives of people around me. Listen, I need this. I know you see Pastor Tanner up here and he's the wild dude preaching all this crazy, crazy stuff about Jesus. I, I want to live it. Listen, I said it before. I said it, I think, in a vision sermon. Maybe, listen, I'm 40 years old. We've been in the city of Boston for 10 years. I'm so thankful for these 10 years. I'm so thankful for my 40 years. But listen, I don't know how many, I mean, got another decade, two decades, three, maybe four max. I don't know. I want to live. God made us to live. He, he made us to experience the stories for ourselves. And so we ask once again, is Jesus marveling at our faith? Because he's going to marvel either way, either at our unbelief, I can't believe that you don't believe who you know me to be. Or he's going to have his heart lit up. His heart is going to light up because we are not just singing a song or praying a prayer but we're going to put feet on those prayers and we're going to move and we're going to act and we're going to give and we're going to serve and we're going to keep going into the places where God has placed us and representing him before a world that needs to know that he is satisfaction, that he is life. Hebrews 11 puts it like this and we're going to wrap up. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And without faith, it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So God, we just ask today, we just ask today, God, that we may be like the man in Mark chapter nine who says to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. God, even if we just have the smallest amount of faith, Lord, that, that you don't despise, you're an amazing, merciful God. You don't despise the smallest faith in our hearts. So God, thank you that, that, that you are still working and moving and building us up. And God, maybe some of us today would say, listen, you say to pray and earnestly seek the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And there is this gift in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, that, that is the gift of faith. God, I just want to say to you very honestly and per personally, Lord, I want to see more people in the life of this church with the gift of faith. So God, would you pour it out? Pour it out on us, God. We need the gift of faith to believe, to see past the surface, to rejoice in your work, to elevate your honor, to thrill your heart. God, we look forward. We pray and we ask, do it again, Lord. Do it again. We want to see you move among us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.